Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and <laughs> urban legends and well, everything in between. Um, I'm Emma. I'm the dad. That's Anish. Um, and we're recording on a Sunday today. This is shocking. Can you believe that? You actually even had your story done before the weekend started. I know. I wrote it all. I had it done like on Wednesday or something. It I... was crazy. Um, but so since we're recording on a Sunday, you have some very fresh Liverpool stats, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's get started with that then. <laughs> well, we're back on to maybe a new winning streak, I hope. But we beat Tottenham, Woo! which... Uh, we won 2-1. It was an incredible game. We went down one nothing in the first 47 seconds mm. on just like, it was a fluke play. I mean, it was a good play. They deserved the goal, but um, it wasn't like, you know, they completely dominated. And then their keeper stopped, I don't know, at least 11 decent shots. And out of those 11, I would say half could have been goals. They were pretty amazing saves. Oh. Um, but then we got one back at the before the 60th minute. And then uh, Mane got a PK, and Salah put it away with maybe 75th minute, maybe? Something like that? 80th minute? I don't know. And then for like the last 15 minutes, it, we just like said, like, ah, let's see if they can score. I mean, it was awful. We were just letting them come down, and they had a couple opportunities. Whoa. We just, we just, I don't know what was going on. But hey, that means we're still top of the table, six points up. Uh, that's nine wins, one tie gives us what? That's 28 points out of 30, which is pretty damn good. So again, like we said, it's still, you know, happy days, early days, but, uh, (laughs) when do the early days end? Not really until April. (laughs) (laughs) I would say when you have roughly, well, Christmas is the first test, like come Christmas time, depending on how we are lead wise or where we are on the table, that's strong. And then, you know, I guess maybe not exactly April, but the last 10 to 12 games, if we have a lead of double digits, then I think we're good to go. But I just think this is going to go to the wire. And uh, it's been 30 years, man. 30 (laughs) years. Uh, But anyway, I'm happy. It's good. Um, Yeah, good. Happy. (laughs) All right. Good consensus then. Um, So it's Halloween. Yeah, well, it's well, when this, this comes out the tomorrow, this Halloween, right? The day it releases, right? Yeah. So for all those who listen, you know, wait when it, re- it yeah, gets released. That's true. So, um, so um, I have a Halloween memory that I would like to share with you, and I want to know if you remember it. Okay. Um, it's not very spooky. Uh, do you remember when I actually played the piano? Uh, I think you bought some kind of voice, like microphone thingy. Um, and this was around Halloween. So you would have, uh, you would have like me and Chris like make a song into the microphone while we played the piano and it would record as one thing. Yeah. I I remember the, the, uh, yes, there was an attachment that connected to yeah. the computer that would yes. record. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Okay. So the only memory I have from that 
piano thing is me saying into the microphone. Um, let me see if I can remember the tune. I think I went, boo, it's Halloween. Boo, it's Halloween over and over and over again. And we I think, have to have that recorded somewhere. I really hope we do. No, we must. I would never have deleted. I don't know why. <laughs> I got to remember where I, where I would have put that. I do kind of remember you recording something. I, don't, I, mean, I just don't remember it was Halloween. But uh, it was a hundred percent. It was so that's I don't know. That just came to me like as we pressed record. So um, figured I'd drop that on you real quick. No, I gotta <laughs> find that. I think we may have that. Well, if we do, then maybe it'll get posted. <laughs> um, Could be the new opening to the. Uh... Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, all right, then in terms of films, movies, TV shows, I think. We can start with your new show that you just discovered. Again, this has been, uh, it's got four seasons and it's been around for a while, but there's a show called Man Down on, uh, I don't even know if it was Channel 4, BBC or whatever. It's UK based, but uh, the guy's name is Greg Davis. Um, It's on Netflix now. Yeah. And it's, it's cringing. Like it's very similar to The Office, like the original Office. Or even extras. It's it just the the situations this guy puts himself in is so awkward and cringy, and you just, I mean, your skin crawls for the things that that ends up happening. But it's great. It's hysterical. If you watch Countdown, that's right. All eight the, out of ten cast does Countdown. Then you'll you'll. Well, I think all the BBC sh- or I should say all the the UK shows, all of them all go have on. like the yeah yeah they go on the show anyway. But uh, I highly recommend and. Um, I mean, you kind of have to start with from the game because it, it is about this guy who just he loses his girlfriend, his job he can't stand. He's a teacher, he's a drama <laughs> teacher, and it's just awesome how he deals with get with the kids. But um, but I think season one, episode four, may be my favorite with this character Dom, <laughs> and then uh, and then it just goes. I mean, I'm in the. I actually I ended up binge watching a lot of it this past week. I'm already into the yeah, you're fourth season. Almost done. But it's only got. I think it's there's only six to eight episodes per season. But I highly highly recommend. Um, <laughs> you're gonna love it or you hate it. I guess that's the way I would say it. It's <laughs> it's definitely a. It, if you like The Office, you like extras, you like anything Ricky Gervais esque on that kind of comedy, um, then I think you'll like this. He showed me that episode, episode four. And I was trying to drink some root beer, and it did not go well. It was, they, how long did you have that paused for while I was trying not to, like, spit it all over the... Uh, we went a full minute, I'm pretty sure. It was, was not good. Yeah. Um, definitely watch that. It was very funny. Um, and then, on to the spookier side of things. The finale of BuzzFeed Unsolved was just released on Friday, and you... I'm not going to spoil it, but we have a little bit of disagreement on some of the evidence, the most solid piece of evidence from that episode, which I don't know. I believe it. You don't. So I don't know. You guys let us know. <laughs> I don't know. I just think. I, again, I don't think we're giving anything away, but if said evidence was real evidence, there would be so much more about that evidence versus the 20 seconds <laughs> that is discussed and then maybe the re- the rehash of it the next day type whatever i don't I, i'm I don't, you're gonna hate me when i say this but the season's done right that was the finale yeah yes okay then there. they do true crime yeah all right i thought it was funny not funny 
well, it was also a very funny episode. Um, yes, yeah, so definitely watch that. And then we started watching a show called Cold Case Files, which I, I thought we mentioned already, but I guess not. I, I don't know. It's good. It's um it's well done. Yeah. It was I thought I started watching it and then I stopped because I thought that the intro was kind of not great. That's you're right. I mean it, it looks like it's not the highest quality production, but then But then like as it goes it, on yeah. you're like, "Whoa." Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, definitely good. Um and then last but not least, uh I had a meeting <laughs> with my guidance counselor the other day and we started talking about like really good movies and he asked me if I'd seen uh the movie 7. And I said, no, I had not. And he was like, well, you got to watch it. So then I told you about it. And like the day after or something, we watched it. Um, and it was really good. It, it's a, it, you, if you haven't seen it, you've probably seen memes. And there's, you, it could be spoiled for you already. But it's good. You know it's, it's good when your father knows about memes that you don't know about. <laughs> it's it's just, well, it's it's one of those things. I mean, it's old. It's from... You said like 95 or something, right? Yeah, I want to say it's 90. It's somewhere mid-90s. It definitely is mid-90s. And uh, But the guy who directed is David Fincher, who did Mindhunter. And you can definitely see his whole thing with serial killers already in that. <laughs> um, and then it's Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, a very young Brad Pitt. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and Gwyneth Paltrow's in it. Um, but it's good. I, I It's in my top definitely my top 10 movies um and i just forgot i mean i forgot how good it i feel like i need to watch it again now well yeah i mean it's 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 well done it's very very well done um yeah it was kind of short but i think we have nothing else really oh i mean you had uh yeah oh i had like i had an act right well yeah and again but you're done which is good for that point now it's just getting last time i have to take that test you just have to now get all your stuff in for you know, college, college all i have to do is complete my college yeah, essay no, and, cool. and i have to submit my application um, uh, soccer season's almost over so for scary. both well the, i guess the girls are done boys are almost done this week so you got to go to senior night for uh, jess which was cool and they kick butt she will never hear this but yes <laughs> um but also you got to see nick and christy oh no you didn't see nick and christy's dog i didn't see the dog oh my god it was very sad. I was well, informed of this as we were leaving. They got a new puppy, three months old, Covey. Oh my God, so <laughs> cute. Chris did. Chris got to hang out with Covey. I hung out with Covey. I think your mom did too. Just So wow. we, I, you just left us. All, it's your own fault. You pointed me out. You were like, oh, go say hi to Marcus. Well, I thought you would come back. So I, <sighs> I said, go say hi, you know. Oh my goodness. Right, you know well. what? We will address this later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's pretty much it. Um, and for Halloween, uh, you're doing Ghost. I'm doing True Crime. Yes. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, jump in. Let us let us go. All Here right. Go. Cool. All right. So, um, as was mentioned in the last section, I have a ghost story for you. Uh, and this one is interesting because usually when I do ghost stories, I like have to really stretch them out, uh, to get them longer than two or three pages. But this one, I texted you, I was like, I have no idea how long this is going to be. Cause I was at four pages and it was still going strong and it ended up wrapping up soon after that, <laughs> but it's a good length, good story. And I think you're going to enjoy it. All right, cool. So have you ever heard of Willington Mill? No. Great. 
perfect. So um, this story pretty much has it all. You got your standard like noises. You got some apparitions. There's a monkey. Um, Like a ghost monkey or a... We don't know. I'm pretty sure it's a ghost monkey. Okay. (laughs) Um, So there's a lot. Um, So let's start in the 1660s in Northumberland in England. All right. Uh, So there's a woman. Her name is Mrs. Pepper. And she is a midwife. Uh, and around this time, she was put on trial for witchcraft. Okay. So we don't know exactly whether or not she was killed, but I'm willing to bet that she was found guilty. They were going to say we weren't sure if she was a witch or not. Oh. Like, well, well, she wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that is fair. Uh, no, but we don't know if, like, what happened to her. Um, and there's no official record of her after the trial. So okay. we don't know. Uh, but around this same time, uh, a man built a cottage for his mother-in-law, uh, who I don't have a name for, so I'm going to call her Mrs. Salt. Um, and <laughs> get it, salt and pepper. <laughs> anyway, so um, he built this cottage at a site called Willington Quay. Okay. Um, and Mrs. Salt allegedly has a reputation of being a witch. Okay. And so some people believe that she was Mrs. Pepper. Uh, and that she had, like somehow ex- escaped or something and uh, hidden herself away at this cottage. Uh, and then nothing happened more in her lifetime. But as she was dying, um, Mrs. Salt asked a priest to hear her last confession. Uh, and the priest was like, no, I will not. And so she died with her sins unconfessed. Hmm. Uh, so Mrs. Salt was buried on the site of the cottage, um, which was torn down after her death. And for the next hundred years, um, I believe it was kind of empty. Okay. But people kept seeing an apparition that they thought was her. Um, she didn't really seem to do anything. She was just sort of chilling on the hill. I assume it was a hill. I don't know. Um, So then uh, fast forward to 1780. Okay. Uh, A man named William Brown uh, builds a flour mill on the site. Okay. And this mill lasted for 20 years. Then it was torn down and replaced by a more modern mill. Fair enough. Um, I think it was still flour at this point. Um, And so when he rebuilt the mill, Brown established a partnership with two other men, uh, Joseph Proctor and Joseph Unthank. Unthank? Unthank. Huh. There are a lot of Josephs in this story. And, well, it's a religious Christian yeah. name, so. A lot. Yeah, I just was trying to think <laughs> Unthank is a. Unthank is a very strange name. Yeah. I think one, I think, uh, I think one source said that Proctor and Unthank were either step brothers or like brothers-in-law or something. Okay, so they were somehow related through marriage some way. Possibly, we don't know for sure, but all right. Um, but all of them took turns living in the house next to the mill, all right. Which I will go into detail about. Um, so a new house was built next to the mill, uh, and the Brown family moved in there. Um, however, all was not well inside this house. This next section, the mill itself, is on top of where there's okay. So there's a huge thing of land. 
right? There was the cottage and then there's the no, land. I understand, but they buried salt somewhere in there, right? Yes. So the the mill and the house are all in the same like area. I understand they're on the same pe- I don't, piece I think, of land. I was just trying to understand if they built the mill over her grave or I the... I think her grave might be where the house is. Okay. I think it would make more sense. Um, but either way, I'm assuming she can sort of come and go to both buildings. It's good it's to be a ghost, same. I guess. Yeah, true. Don't um, need a key. That is very, very fair. Um, so, around 1800, uh, a murder occurred at the house. And we don't know anything about it except for the fact that, one, it happened, and two, the victim was a woman. Okay. That's all we know. And then, again, between the years of 1800 and 1806, another murder happened. Uh, and again, the victim was female. And um, people think that this woman was some kind of foreigner. Uh, and we have no idea who she is. So two mysterious women murdered in like in a six-year period. Okay. Very, all right. Very strange. This also, I mean, it probably didn't happen honestly because i could only find this in one article all right but they were like yes this happened and we don't know but it was a person so whatever it may have happened it makes the story more interesting if it did so in 1806 uh william brown and his family left the house and a year later he completely just terminated his business partnership with the other two men um but you know he went and did his own thing i think he yeah, he opened up two more mills in Sunderland and North Shields. Okay. So he was having his own unhaunted life. Um, meanwhile, um, Unthank moved into the house after Brown left and stayed for about 15 years. And during this time, his family reported so many supernatural occurrences. Um, but, of course, records of this were either destroyed or were not kept in the first place. So we don't know the specifics. We just know that something happened. Okay. Uh, and then Unthank denied through his entire life that anything, anything crazy was happening oh, at all. Right. But his family were like, I-, I don't know about you, but something's happening in this house. So in 1831, uh, the Unthanks moved out and the Proctor family moved in. All right. So the original Joseph Proctor had died. Uh, and the family that moved in was his son's family, and his son was named Joseph. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) So um, this family also experienced a lot of supernatural things, and luckily uh, this new Joseph Proctor did not uh, sort of deny what was happening, but instead he kept a diary. Hmm. But the, so that the house itself was just basically because they weren't partners anymore, but it, they must have still jointly owned that. Property. Yeah, probably something right. like that. Um, yeah, probably when like Brown left, he probably like gave up all of that or then, sold yeah, it or something. Or yeah, gave up. It. Yeah, fair enough. I don't know. But point is now it's the Proctors. All right. So Proctor, Joe Jr. Yes, Joe Jr. Um, so this was a Quaker family. Uh, and they valued honesty above all, which is why uh, the new Joseph's diary is so, like, it wouldn't make sense for him to be lying about all this. Um, so, the family soon discovered that the unthanks had boarded up the attic room. Okay. 
And this was very strange. They were like, oh, I mean, it's extra space. Um, but they needed extra storage. And so they took down the boarding and put their stuff up there, whatever. So directly underneath the attic um, was the bedroom in which the children slept. And one evening in the winter of 1835, the family's nursemaid was putting the children to bed when she heard, quote, heavy footsteps pacing overhead. Uh, and this repeated over several nights, but no one was ever found in the attic, and there was, there was no evidence of anyone, like, living up there or anything. It right. was just they heard, like, footsteps continuously. Um, and then this part, um, the majority of my story I got from uh, Strange Tales article, okay. which was really helpful. It, it had a lot of detail. But they said this one sentence that I didn't really understand. Um, so they wrote, the family scattered meal all over the floor, but no footsteps were ever discernible. Oh, so it's a, it's kind of like, it's not flour, but it's, it's like cornmeal. It's, um, it's like dusty. Oh, so they like see the see footsteps. footsteps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it must have been, you know, some kind of ve- like, you know, cornmeal or vegetables. Type right. Of, to like see imprints. Yeah. Got right. it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Very helpful. So, moving on. Because um, I was thinking like meat or something. Yeah, no, like, no, no. Um, I think so, they call it meal because they would feed that to... Um, so like chickens and stuff? Right, to livestock and things like that. Oh, yeah. you learn something new every day. So, uh, so one morning, the entire family had uh, gathered in the parlor to say their prayers and they heard the unmistakable sound of someone coming down the stairs and walking along the hallway passage towards the door. Okay. Um, and since all of them were in the parlor, it couldn't have been any of them. Uh, so they heard the front door open, and Joseph Jr. Uh, rushed into the hall to see who it was. No one was there. Hmm. But Joseph could still hear the footsteps going down on like the stone pathway and away from the house. Oh, wow. Um, and Mrs. Proctor fainted. Um, so, after this, the activity increased. The family would often hear doors opening, the sounds of thumps, blows, labored breathing, chairs being moved, tiny footsteps as if from a child. Um, oh, so the so heavy and... So there was heavy footsteps and child yeah. footsteps. Yeah. And... But I didn't see anything about like a child dying. But they're this. saying, um, but the, uh, it's just like some, but it's like a ghost just going through a normal routine. Is it, was it always the same times or is it always? Um, I don't know. I just, I know that just happens. It feels like often. they're just like, they're just living there. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. seem like it's, uh, gotta go to work, gotta do this, yeah. gotta, okay. Um, and they also would hear the rustling noise of a silk dress or something. So a family. Like it. A family. Well, like a, a family there's a ghost, dude with heavy footsteps. There's a child, and now there's like a, a dress. Unless, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. I would, was not thinking of it like that. Yeah, that would be interesting. Hmm. I, yeah, I didn't read anything about like a man or well, a they're, child. Well, it's not. I mean, they're basically hearing at a minimum two different mm-hmm. people. Right. Could be three. Could be. Because a foot, heavy footstep person could also be a woman. That is very true. Okay. Or a stomping child. (laughs) Um, So, on Whit Monday, 
which would have been the 8th of June if we're still in 1835. I went and did that calculation. Okay. Um, but I don't know the year, so it might not have been June 8th. Um, so Mary Young, who was the proctor's maid, uh, was washing dishes when she spotted a lady in a lavender silk dress walking up the stairs. And she didn't look like Mrs. Proctor, and nobody else was, was in the house Was in the house that we know of. Cat spooky. Yeah. And it seemed that she just sort of walked up the stairs. It didn't seem that she saw Mary or interacted with her at all. Right, so right. just... It's like another dimension almost. It kind of reminded me of uh, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House from yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Um, which is very interesting. So, uh, and then Joseph's diary. Some of the accounts are kind of vague, like the one I'm about to read for you. Um, but he recounted something that his children witnessed. And so I'll read the quote for you. Two of the children in the house, one aged about eight and the other under two years, both saw, unknown to each other, an object which could not be real and which went into the room where the apparition was afterwards seen and disappeared there. So it doesn't say what this object was. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I told you it was vague. <laughs> okay, fair enough. He, they just saw something. That couldn't have been real. Could have not have been real. Yeah, so. All right. Interesting. And it said it went into the room. I mean, I was thinking... Because it says something about an apparition afterwards seen. So I was thinking maybe it's, they saw like, uh, you know how there's sometimes stories about seeing like one half of a person moving around, like that kind of apparition. Uh, I was thinking. It's all speculation now. I have no idea. I'm trying to think, you know, I, I just was it a weird animal that they thought they saw? Yeah, an like, object makes it make me think like, yeah. a, like a candle or something. Uh, well, again, something that could not have been real. That's. That's what I'm I trying mean, to understand. I mean, a candle moving on its own wouldn't make sense. Mm. But I don't know. That's all he gets. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Joseph. Um, so, uh, in February of 1836, uh, two of Mrs. Proctor's sisters came to visit the house. Um, and they were staying over a couple of nights, so they were given a four-poster bed to sleep in. Wow. <laughs> what kind of Airbnb rating they got. <laughs> well... I guess you're about to find out. Okay. Uh, so, on their very first night, they felt the bed rise off the ground. Uh, and Joseph wrote in his diary, quote, The bed was lifted up as if a man were underneath pushing it up with his back. Ugh. Um, and I think I read something in a different article about it spinning. Like, lifting and then, st like, started While they're on around. the bed. While they're on the bed. All right. Uh, and then, I don't know if it was... The next night or a couple nights after that, but pretty soon after, um, the bed was shaken violently in the night. Um, and both of the sisters... And no, and no one's... And that room wasn't used before? It was just uh, I think it was a room? guest room or something like that. Oh. Hmm. Um, so both of the sisters witnessed a female ghost come out of the wall and hover over them. Hmm. And I don't know if it just disappeared, but... The sisters were like, we're out, and just left. Uh, so that was enough for them. And soon after this, uh, some neighbors, uh, the Mann family, were walking past the house in the evening when they spotted the apparition of a priest in the attic window of the house, uh, which had been sealed off before they moved in. And 
On another occasion, multiple passersby reported seeing um, the ghostly white figure of a woman in that same area, hmm. like the attic. So there's no, but there's no historical context for the priest. I mean, Besides, right now, the only thing about the woman, I mean, the priest who didn't bless her. That's the only thing I can yeah, think about. Yeah, but then, unless he died violently. Maybe, I don't well. know. Um, yeah, I don't know huh. what explanation there could be, but that might be the footsteps. Yeah, I guess. It could be either of them, but there's a lot going on in the attic. <laughs> so um, when the summer of 1840 rolled around, uh, the proctors invited supernatural specialist Edward Drury to hold a vigil in the attic room. All right. As he was doing this, his friend Thomas Hudson, who is a chemist from South Shields, uh, was asleep in a chair in the attic. Uh, and about 12.50 a.m., Drury watched as a strange woman emerged out of a closet and stumbled towards Hudson as if she was in pain. Okay. Um, and he began screaming hysterically at the figure and at the being, or sorry, at the being in the family yeah. to uh, keep her off of his friend. Huh. And I don't know if everyone else saw her because they carried him downstairs. Like while he was still like screaming hysterically. Huh. Um, and so he recounted himself what he had seen. So I'm just going to read this for you. Okay. Quote, I took out my watch to ascertain the time and found that it wanted, it was 10 minutes to one. Uh, in taking my eyes off the watch, they became riveted upon a closet door, which I distinctly saw open and saw also the figure of a female attired in grayish garments with the head inclining downwards and one hand pressed upon the chest as if in pain. It advanced with an apparently cautious step across the floor towards me. Immediately, it approached my friend, who was slumbering, its right hand extended towards him. I then rushed out it, giving at, giving at the time, as Mr. Proctor states, a most awful yell. <laughs> but instead of grasping it, I fell upon my friend and I recollected nothing distinctly for nearly three hours afterwards. I have since learned that I was carried downstairs in an agony of fear and terror. Huh. You know what? Um, remember when I did the South Shields poltergeist? Mm -hmm. They talk about there was another thing not far away when I had... So maybe they're talking about this? I think they may have been talking Ooh. about this. So there was this whole thing about... Um, that there was not too far... Again, there was this other haunting... Not too far away. Because I was trying to remember why I've heard South Shields before. I'm like, oh, I know that. Like, yeah, I was, because I, when I was writing this, I was like, oh my God, like you just covered the yeah, yeah. South Shields poltergeist. So it could be. So I think there's a, there was a lot of supernatural hauntings going around. England is very haunted. Well, they're also, you know, just, you know. <laughs> no, I don't know. What was the end of that Well, sentence? again, at the time, it's, it's, it, it was there. It's not satanic panic, but. Oh yeah, they had like a whole spiritualist. There was a yeah, there was a there was a society. There was this, mm -hmm. so you know, I I just think that that mob paranoia mentality. That's very true. All right. So, um, one of Joseph's daughters later reported seeing a woman sitting on her mother's bed, uh, and the odd thing about this, besides the fact that she didn't recognize this woman, um, was that she didn't have any eyes. Oh. Uh -huh. However. This, because it was, you know, back in the 1800s, this actually might mean she was blind and not actually physically eyeless. 
but like you know probably like i don't know like maybe you couldn't see like the pupils or whatever and she just assumed i don't know but it doesn't it could mean eyeless i would be scarred for life if that were true um but i don't know so it it might not be as disturbing as it seems yeah uh, and then another one of the children watched one night as a strange man walked into his room, opened the window, and then left back out the the door. So okay, so did the, that other room where the bed was moving, they mm-hmm. no one ever there was no more there were, like people in. Well, sleep I room. don't think they had they any guests in there. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, but nobody I, else visited. Yeah, I mean, can you blame them? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I haven't read anything else okay. about that room. Okay. So, and maybe they were like, let's just not put our guests in there next time. Um, so I don't think he went through the window, but I just open the window and then like wiped out. Yeah. The, it's still kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, unless it seems again, people doing their like, daily, like going about their daily yeah, routines. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, human apparitions were not the only odd things seen in the house. Uh, here's what we get to the animals. Okay. Um, so in the fall of 1841, Joseph's two-year-old son, Edmund, told his father of a funny cat he had seen. Um, and he had spent the entire day looking under chairs to see if he could find it and couldn't. Um, and then that night, Edmund was awoken by the sound of an animal leaping down off of the easy chair, which stood near the bed. Hmm. And I don't think they had any pets. No, I get, yeah. Then, a few weeks later, Joseph's other son, an eight-year-old, also named Joseph. Um, this is like Joseph Jr. Jr. The third. Yeah, I forgot. That's where you go. Anyway, Joseph the third uh, was in the nursery with some of his other siblings when... Actually, no, I guess he is junior because the the, oh. da- the grandfather's dead, right? Yeah. So now jo- the other Joseph's senior. He's junior. Oh, I see. I don't know how that works. Anyway, so this... Eight-year-old Joseph yep. sees a monkey. Okay. Uh, and he said that the creature pulled his leg by the shoe strap. Um, but that was all. It just sort of did that. And I, I don't know. It was very strange and had no explanation well, he's whatsoever. eight years old. That is true. Okay. He probably made it up. Probably. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, a man named Thomas Davidson who was courting Mary Young, the maid, uh, was visiting the house one day to see her. And as he approached the house, he saw a cat strolling the grounds. Now, as any young man would do, he decided, I'm going to kick this cat. <laughs> God. So, so he walks up to it, and he kicks it, and his foot goes right through the cat. Uh, and then he also claimed that the cat transformed into something quote as large as a sheep and quite luminous so do you think he told mary what he was gonna like hey i went out there and there was this cat i went to go kick it and she's like and he's like i went right through her and she wasn't like wait wait you went to what yeah i mean mary you can do better i don't understand why he just sees a cat and is like you know what would really make my day better if i just kick this cat I don't know. Maybe the ghosts were looking out for Mary. Like, let's just see what this guy Yeah, maybe they were like, oh, I see what kind of person <laughs> exactly. you are. Um, so 
allegedly one of the family members saw a disembodied head at some point, but I could only find this in one article, <laughs> so it might not have happened. Um, but it would be so interesting if it did. Um, yeah. So then at one point, Joseph, the father, uh, possibly encountered a clairvoyant named Jane in like the village or whatever. And she asked him if she could go to the mill. Um, so he agreed. Okay. And upon entering Jane quote, described the priest and the gray lady, the two apparitions, which haunted it. She also added that the priest had refused to allow the female ghost to confess a deadly crime committed at that spot many years ago, and that this was the troubling cause of the poor woman's apparition. Okay. So, so it still doesn't explain why the priest himself yeah, I, was there, unless it's yeah. some kind of like weird karma thing. I don't know. I, I don't know either. Um, so then there was another occurrence um, in a window of the house that was witnessed by four people. Uh, a lady known to the Proctor family, an employee of the mill, and his wife and his daughter. Okay. So, their account goes as follows. The appearance presented was that of a bareheaded man in a flowing robe like a surplice? Surplice? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, which glided backwards and forwards about three feet from the floor or level with the bottom of the second story window, seeming to enter the wall on the on each side and thus present a side view in passing. It then stood still in the window, and a part of the body came through both the blind, which was closed down, and the window, as its luminous body intercepted the view of the framework of the window. It was semi-transparent and as bright as a star, diffusing a radiance all around. Hmm. As it grew more dim, it assumed a blue tinge and gradually faded away from the head downwards. So... 1800 speak a little confusing but it seems to me that basically they saw the ghost in the window and then it sort of like came out of the window towards them but not all the way right so it was half in the house half out of the house and likely it was the priest well yeah I think the so. flowing robe yep that makes sense um so yeah they saw that which is probably the most descriptive one that i've gotten so far yeah. um so in 1847 the family had finally had enough of this house and they decided to move out um after they moved out the man family moved in for a little bit uh, but eventually they too left hmm. um and so the house later was converted into apartments um but over time they degraded down into like a slum uh and then the mill like at it sort of closed down and then it turned into a rope factory okay um, and I think, I don't know if it's the house is still apartments or anything, or if it's been torn down. I might have said something, but I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but about the rope factory, uh, at the turn of the 20th century, a woman named Catherine DeVore was killed in an accident at the factory. Uh, so she was known by the nickname Kitty, and she died when her hair got caught oh. in a millstone. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it's said that her ghost still, still haunts the area. And there's actually a millstone dedicated to her on the site, which I feel like if she got oh. killed by a millstone, I wouldn't want that to be my no. goal. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, so the, the factory, I think, is still in business. And the manager, Ray Summerson, 
has reported that the hauntings have, quote, always been a topic of conversation, and I've worked here for 32 years. I've sensed that I've been watched, and I'm sure I've seen shapes or shadows before. One old employee said he was pushed in the back while he was working the night shift. Hmm. Um, so there's a transcript of Joseph Proctor's diary that's available in the book The Haunting of Willington Mill by uh, Michael J. Hallowell and Darren W. Ritson. Uh, and I kind of want to read it because I feel like there's probably going to be some more stuff that I wasn't able to find. What? Hallowell and Ritson? Yeah. I think those are the guys that did the South Shields Poltergeist. They're the, they're, really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure those are the two guys. Because Hollowell, yeah, those are the two. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. There you wow, I totally forgot that. Interesting. I knew I had heard the, the name Hollowell yeah, before. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that book, I'm sure, has more details that the articles didn't have. Um. So I would definitely check that out. And yeah, it's available basically. You just have to, the, literally you have to look up Willington Mill and it comes and up. it comes up, yeah. Um, but that is The Haunting of Willington Mill. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's a good Halloween story. I like that one. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Then you're doing true crime? I am. Awesome. All right. I'm doing true crime. Ooh. Um. The reason I picked this story actually was, uh, well, there was two reasons. One, it occurs on Halloween. Yes. And second, because we saw seven. <laughs> oh, um, no. This, uh, there is, there's a connection to, well, not to the, the actual movie, but you'll understand the connection. If you've seen seven, too, you'll get it. But Okay. Right? So I'm just going to start with uh, my intro, um, and I'll go through all the... Uh, As opposed to your outro? Exactly. So I figured. <laughs> I'll start this way. Um, in February of 2005, a wedding was held between Eric Koppel and Lily Prudholm. Do you know this? Koppel. That was a Forensic Files episode. It was? Didn't we watch it together? No, I don't remember this one. You were there. No. Then maybe I watched it with mom. I don't. I don't remember this one. So maybe you do know this one. I didn't know. I think know. I do know this. Um... The celebration was a bittersweet, though, for the couple. I know this one. <laughs> All right. Well, they originally wanted to get married on November 1st, 2004. Unfortunately, they had gone through a rough patch before that date and ended up postponing that wedding. So you do? This is the one? Yeah. Okay. I know. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so um, Lily felt extreme guilt for, for postponing it because her best friend and her best friend's roommate would well they could have been still alive had they had the wedding on the first the plan was to get married in hawaii but they postponed it just because of whatever was going between the two of them lily and eric Mm -hmm. um however when they did get married um the her best friend's mom arlene arlene allen was invited to the wedding yeah, and I remember this episode. So Arlene, I just watched it like the other day. Uh, I did not watch it. <laughs> Arlene um, invited, uh, well, sorry, so Arlene was invited, but she was also asked to speak at the at the wedding, and I think she recited a poem for for the for Eric and uh, and Lily, um, and she was honored for it because she basically looked at Lily now as her surrogate daughter. Mm. Um, now, by all accounts. It was a great wedding. Everybody had fun. Everybody enjoyed it. 
And as the evening was coming to a close, Arlene watched in the distance and could only wish that her daughter had been there to partake in her best friend's big day. It had been three ni- or three months since the wickedness of Halloween night. Even worse is that the case had gone cold. This is the story of the murders of Adrian Insomnia and Leslie Mazzara. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. All right. So my sources are... Um, God, it's too funny. I did not, I did not watch that one. Uh, CBS had a... Actually, CBS... I think they did a 48 hours right after it happened. Whoa. And it's really inter- interesting because in the 48 hours, uh, within months of the murder, they do a bunch of... Uh, Con- the, the the they quote like I mean they interviewed everybody and it's it's amazing to hear like just Lily's take on everything. Wow. Um, Rankers where I found it because I was just looking for Halloween murders and then um, Sword and Scale. I've I've gone to them but in the past. I feel like I know that website. They had a good. It was a good um, summary of things and it was later. Like their view came in. I think uh, much much later. So to the crime timeline. Crime timeline. <laughs> so Adrian, Which I already know. <laughs> Adrian Insania, uh was born on December 30th, 1977. Very strong and smart student. Uh, she was a Girl Scout. She later became a Girl Scout leader. Um, she was an athlete. She played softball, volleyball, both in high school and college. Um, while she was in high school, she was actually in a near-fatal car accident and oh. had to just the strength of her character, she had to basically, you know, I, I don't know if she had to learn to walk again or all these other things, but she, she overcame a lot. And she also afterwards, I don't know if she had cigars or something, but she definitely was, um, you know, shy and felt that she wasn't, you know, beautiful or anything oh. like that. So she definitely had some self-esteem issues there, but powered through for pretty much everything else. She would also get a degree in civil engineering. Nice. In 2004, she would live in Napa, California, and work as an engineer at the Napa Sanitation District. Cool. While employed there, she met Lily Prudhomme, um, and they would become basically best friends very quickly. I think within months, they kind of just like latched onto each other. Um, they would hit the gym either before or after work. Uh, they hung out at work, and so nice. they socialized outside of work in the evenings and that kind of thing. Adrian had an apartment in Napa, and her roommate was uh, a woman named Lauren uh, Mianza. Mm-hmm. And um, Lauren was actually a volleyball coach at the community college. And I don't know if that's how they were connected, if they were friends and through volleyball or whatever, but it, I just found it coincidental that she was also a volleyball coach. Huh. Now, Leslie Mazzara was born on August 1st, 1978, and she was a ballet dancer. She was, you know, on the beauty pageant scene. Um, she actually competed for Miss South Carolina in 2003. And then she got a degree in philosophy from the University of Georgia. But she had a breakup with her boyfriend around the time, and she okay. basically wanted to get a clean start. So she left um, South Carolina mm-hmm. and moved to California, where she actually got a job as, they said like a salesperson, but I think she was kind of like the front of the house for uh, Francis Ford Coppola's um, winery. It's the guy who wrote The Godfather. So. Oh, yeah, they didn't. To say that, and yeah, so they she, just said that she worked at a winery. Yeah, so she was the, you know, I think from the house. Um, Adrian, Leslie, and Lauren got along very well. So that, you know, they uh, hung out, did things together. Um, and Lily actually would also visit. So it was kind of a foursome in a way. Hmm. Uh, but Lily was really closest to Adrian and kind of Leslie because um, Leslie and Adrian ended up just becoming pretty close friends. So mm-hmm. in the house, what ended up happening was um, 
Adrian and Le- uh, Leslie lived upstairs on, on yeah. bedrooms, and uh, Lauren was downstairs. Yes, I, this is so clear in my head now. I know exactly. What, oh my god! The roommates had pretty strong social lives. Like, I mean, they were dating all of them, you know. And but at the time around Halloween, they weren't actively dating. So, and coincidentally, they all actually kind of had broken up with their boyfriends around that time. So mm-hmm. all three girls or women um, stayed in and just dished out candy to all the, the trick-or-treaters. Um, and by coincidence, the uh, Lily was also having a bit of a hiccup at that time with Eric. So it just was going around. <laughs> Wasn't it? Um, I think they said in the episode that the they had like, told her like oh you're too good for him you should like break up with him or something like that well i don't think there was anything major like i just that i know adrian lily were you know um so with no plans for halloween night um lauren leslie and adrian decided that they would all stay in and you know basically take turns greeting the trick-or-treaters um by 11 ish that evening um they had served their last batch of candy and were calling it a night Adrian and Leslie again went upstairs to their bedrooms. Lauren was downstairs on her on the first floor. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around one o'clock, uh, November first, Lauren was startled awake, and um, she actually this is her quote because when the case ended up going cold, the America's Most Wanted did a whole story about it, and she just said, "I was in my bed and I just opened up my eyes and realized something is not quite right," and then I heard a scream. I jumped out of bed oh and stood there for a second trying to figure out what was going on. And I opened my door and went outside and listened. Suddenly, I heard something. Whoever was in the house was running down the stairs right at me. My gut told me to get out of the back, get out the back door. And I remember thinking, I'm opening this door and the person's just going to follow me out. Oh my god. However, the intruder did not see Lauren at all. And exited the way they came in so through a window basically Mm -hmm. and that whole time lauren was in the backyard covered i mean cowering i say in fear just basically waiting and when she thought the coast was clear she went back into the house ran upstairs and as she walked into one of the bedrooms she almost slipped and fell and she realized at the point she was (gasps) slipping on blood um and then she saw leslie face down in a pool of blood on the floor and adrian crouched behind the bed However, Adrian was still alive, and she was bleeding heavily from multiple stab wounds. Terrified, she went to try to go call 911, but the house phone was dead. <gasps> so she grabbed her cell phone and ran out of the house, jumped in her car to get away, because she had no idea if the intruder was still around or what was going on, and called 911 while she was on oh her way God. out. When the police and the emergency services arrived at the house, they found Leslie Mazzara dead at the scene. And Adrian um, Insomnia uh, was fatally wounded. However, she died that oh. evening. Par- the paramedics couldn't do enough to save her. So immediately the police and the forensics team blocked all of the area and the home. Right. And they found multiple cigarette butts outside the house, smoked down all the way to like the filter. Mm-hmm. And they just believed that this was probably the intruder and that the intruder was casing for a while before... Um, the intruder made their move. Yeah. So as they recreated the scene, they believed that the killer had entered Leslie's room and attacked her while she was asleep. Adrian then woke up during the attack, and they're not sure if she entered 
Leslie's room or if the attacker went into her room and then she left her room um, to like run away. But Adrian did put up a fight and she injured the killer because they found blood on the blinds of the um, window that he escaped through. Oh, or, yeah. And they, um, they knew it was the blood of a different... It wasn't the blood of, of Adrian or, or uh, Leslie. Right. Now, because the killer seemed to know the what you know knew the layout of the house and everything mm-hmm. like that and what and was going after specific people they just figured that this was not random right so they discovered um also that the cigarettes outside were these were the uh camel turkish gold brand um or camel's a brand but turkish gold type of cigarette yeah, that's why the episode was called good as gold uh, <laughs> and um and that was that product was pretty unique it was and pretty new actually as well mm-hmm. They also matched the DNA found on the blood of the shade of the shade um, to the DNA on the cigarette as well. So they knew that they were connected and right. it was probably the intruder. So now police immediately started focusing on who were close to the three roommates and particularly their boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Lily helped in every way and any way she could. She met with police immediately to discuss all the relationships um, that she knew specifically with Adrian, but um, she also discussed some of the, the relationships she knew with the others, but she was definitely much more close with Adrian. She had mentioned that she and Eric and usually would double date with Adrian, whoever she was dating at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lauren knew some of Leslie's boyfriends, and then they also found one of Leslie's high school friends who I think lived in the area who knew a lot of her social life. So Lily, of course, is floored that her best friend is now dead. Um, Adrian's mother... Floored makes it sound like she's excited. Um, Floored is like low. Floored doesn't... It is? If I was floored... I've always used it... I'm like... I've always heard it used and like excited. No, if I was... Well, I mean, you could be excited, but usually it's like, like I was hit... Oh, I've never I, heard it uh, used that way. That's I, was, so I never weird. thought Floyd was excited. Well, maybe it is. I, don't know. I I always thought of Floyd was like I was just taken aback. Oh, but, well, hey, now I know. Um, so Lily, uh, well, Adrian's mother then came over from Australia uh, as soon as she could, and you know was pretty much with Lily the whole time, and then at the funeral, Arlene was leaning on Lily the whole time. Like it, Lily was basically Arlene's rock. Oh. Um, now, the events also made Lily and Eric kind of re, re, um, reset their relationship in the sense that life was too short and they decided that they should just have the wedding and let's get married. Let's. I mean, you never know what could happen. Look, you know, our best yeah. friend or my best friend is dead. Um, and Arlene was, you know, happy and she was happy to help with the wedding. She was included in all the things and that kind of thing. So again, like a, in a way, you know, a surrogate mom. Mm -hmm. So the suspects then in this case were focusing on all these boyfriends that they had. And Leslie definitely had a lot of admirers. The first was, uh, Brian West, who was, um, her college boyfriend. The guy actually bought her a car. Whoa. And then after they broke up, he actually built her a tribute webpage to what? her. So as they're interviewing, everybody's kind of like, and this was her best friend from high school, was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. But then when they met him and interviewed him, they're like, no, this is what this guy would do. Like they just said like this, <laughs> it was in a way more of just to help her for her resume building for like 
pageants and things. Like it wasn't oh, like this is my undying love for you. It was just, you know, but wow. weird. The other one was the person she had been dating right before she left South Carolina. This guy named William Lee, sorry, William Lee Youngblood Jr. He was a lawyer. And again, she broke up with him to move out to Napa. But she had confided in her confided in her friends that like, I'm marrying this dude. Like this guy has it all. And then something changed. Oh no. And they were asking, well, she also confided on why it changed and why she basically had to have nothing to do with him anymore. It was because of his father, William Sr. William Sr. started to call her all the time. Ooh. So he'd even call her call his son then to go to talk to uh, Leslie. And then just started calling her directly just during the day. How's it going? Like, what are you doing? That kind of thing. Ooh, that is very creepy. He even called her on Halloween night, the night she died, <gasps> twice. I forgot about that. So police investigated junior and senior. Um, and again, they went through all these things, had had the, a few. There was a couple other boyfriends that were local. And one they interviewed because... Um, the friend was double dating with with them, and when they were there, some guy came up to her, to Leslie, some just other dude, and the, the guy she was with, the guy she was dating, like completely went in overprotective mode, Ooh. and you know, basically getting to the point of let's leave, let's do this, and it was just really, really weird to the point where the vibe was so bad that even Leslie's like, you know, used her friend to as a wing person to get the heck out. So they right. all they everybody left. And they all left separately. So basically, Leslie left with her friend. And just so that made them look into this person, but they didn't give the person's name. Hmm. And as for Adrian, Lily suspected Adrian's on and off boyfriend, Christian Lee. Lily had mentioned that Adrian had called her many times crying after having arguments with Christian. Um, and police actually like kind of broke down his door. They found a knife um, right in his house and everything like that. And he was, he, you know, he admitted that they were in a rocky relationship, but he was saying it was on his side because she wanted a commitment. He didn't want a commitment. So she was always upset because he was like, I'm not ready to kind of get married. So it wasn't this like clingy guy or anything like that. Wow. Now they DNA tested everyone. Everyone had no problem giving DNA. No hits, no matches, nothing. No. Then the police would interview over a thousand people in that very short period of time, like months, Whoa. tested over 200 people for DNA, which is seems insane to me, um, but no hits. And then during the that period of time of interviews and this and that, 48 Hours did a story on it. And they interviewed Lauren, who recalled the evening and what she had witnessed and heard that we had discussed, you know, right, like yeah. from some oh things before. But they interviewed Lily, and this is what Lily said, and these are quotes. Eric and I were originally planning to get married on November 1st, which is the day Adrian ended up dying. And if we had gone through with that wedding, it was planned in Hawaii, Adrian and Lauren would have been in Hawaii with us that week. It's something that still haunts me. Somebody must know something. Somebody who would have had to notice their friend acting strange or had bruises. It doesn't seem like someone could walk away from it and be fine. Wow. So after the episode ran, they didn't receive any new leads. However, the police took another look at the evidence. In September of 2005, they revisited the cigarettes. Mm -hmm. They had never released that they had found these cigarettes at the scene. So they went public asking anyone who 
may have known someone who smoked this type of particular brand um, or just noticed anything more of that evening or around that time. And then they mentioned that we also can confirm that the DNA on the cigarettes, cigarettes matches the blood that we found at the scene of the intruder. Within five days, their strategy worked, and it broke the case wide open. Um, so two parents received suicide notes from their son. And I couldn't understand if the parents were living together or they were separated, but Interesting. apparently each got a note. That's not good. And alar- alarmed at that uh, content of the note, they immediately contacted him. And the son had not gone through with the suicide, but he had told him what he had done. Oh. So they convinced him to turn himself in. So who was this killer? Eric Koppel. That's right. The husband to Lily, uh, Adrian's best friend. Um, during the, the, um, that earlier 48 hours, you know, broadcast or whatever, here's another quote that had, that, uh, Lily had mentioned as well. It's important. It's important to find out who did this and to find out why in some sick way I want to know. I want to know how it happened. I mean, this is my friend. I want to know what happened to her. Oh, I feel so bad. This is so sad. So Eric Koppel would plead guilty to the murders in exchange to not being uh, put on death row, as mm-hmm. well as also to just kind of have the families have to go through a whole trial right. as well. Um, at the time, though, they still didn't understand what the motive was, and they didn't get it until a lot later. And there was a lot of back and forth. Like there was, It took a few months um, before they could get the sentence ready to go. But what ended up happening was Eric was extremely jealous of Adrian and Lily's relationship. On Halloween night, he got so drunk and angry with Lily that she refused to spend the night with him and kicked him out of the apartment. Oh, wow. The prosecutor believed that it, believed at that time that he felt that the relationship was slipping away with him and Lily. He also believed that the postponement of the wedding was due to Adrian manipulating Lily. So it was all Adrian saying that, you know, why are you marrying this guy and this sort of thing. So, so much of what you were saying earlier of just the whole, um, is he the good enough for you? And I think... They said that he was kind of a loner, and when they were out a lot, even the double dating and everything like that, it was like pulling teeth to get him into the into the conversation and things like that. Um, but it was also discovered that Eric had suffered from depression, paranoia throughout his life, oh, and wow. uh, and of course with his relationship uh, with Lily. That evening, when he found himself outside Adrian's apartment, he says he just remembers going in, but nothing after that. However. He did burn all of his clothes, which were full of, covered with blood, his shoes and everything else in a oh, fire pit. Yeah, so he, that. he was totally cognizant of what he did. So yeah. for him to say, like, I don't know, and then do what he did, then he knew what was going on. So at the sentencing, these were the following statements that were made. Arlene said this, Eric, you knew Adrian. You know me, and Eric, I know you. You are a man who violently stabbed to death the best friend of the woman you loved. That is not love, Eric. You cannot love Lily and bring a knife into Adrian's home and stab her again and 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 yet again. Lily then made a statement. I wish with all my heart these events had been avoided. Eric... There is nothing you could do to make me love you any less. Oh. These words are just as true today as they were on that afternoon. <gasps> and that's the story of oh the deaths God. of 
Adrian Insagna and Leslie Mazzara. Wow. Yeah, I remember in the episode they talked about um, they did some DNA testing where they could find out like his eye color, his hair color, his skin color, and then they like released that, and then they still didn't really get anything. Uh, and then they did the cigarettes. And- yeah, they said they what the way I'd read it too was at the moment the cigarette thing came out, he was just like he knew that someone would catch him. Um, and yeah. he never gave up DNA. Like that was the other thing. Like throughout, it was weird though um, why they didn't pursue him as a suspect at earlier. But yeah. I think he was asked. It might have been he was asked during the, when um, they were narrowing down and they had released it. And then somebody must must have said that he smokes camels. And so there could have been a period of time where. They thought he was a suspect, and then it wasn't until his parents basically were like, you need to turn yourself in. Yeah, they didn't even tell about the parents. They just said that he like just went to the police station. Yeah, it, in. the way this, this article, I think wow. this was the CBS News one that came out. I think it came out two or three years ago for it, but yeah. But yeah, but there you go. Wow. Cool. That was really good. All right. All right. Let's hear the fun fact. Yes. So I have a Halloween fun fact for y'all today, um, and it is that jack-o'-lanterns were originally carved into turnips, and the reason being that in a traditional Celtic story, a man named Jack tricked the devil, so after Jack died, the devil made him roam the night with only a burning coal to light his way, and so Jack put the piece of coal in a carved-out turnip. Uh, which was a common vegetable at the time and there. And so he became known as Jack of the Lantern. Um, So Irish and Scottish people would carve their own versions of Jack's Lantern with scary faces and place them near windows or doors to frighten away Jack or other evil spirits. Uh, And when immigrants brought the tradition to America, the native pumpkin was more available than turnips, so they carved it into pumpkins. I think I had heard this in some other thing, but... um... I'm just trying to think how like how a coal doesn't like burn the whole thing up. I, I don't know. Yeah, but that's uh, cool. I knew the the thing about turnips. I just didn't know why. So. Yeah, and I like I did I didn't put together that jack of the lantern, which is cool. Yeah, so very interesting. Um, yeah, so if you want to send us your own fun facts, please do so at our Gmail, which is everything in podcast at gmail dot com. Um, and you can also submit those to our website, which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com. And if you have your own suggestions for stories or you've experienced a paranormal thing or a true crime thing that you want to tell us about, send it there too. We would love to read it. Um, and then we're also on social media. Our Instagram is at everything in podcast. Our Twitter is at between underscore podcast. And we have a Facebook group and page both by the name of Everything In Between Podcast. So check those out. It's really fun. We announced new episodes, fun things. Um, actually, this week, um, when I came downstairs to record, there was a little surprise waiting for me in your usual spot. <laughs> so that's going to be posted if you want to see what it is. Uh, and then if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please, 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 please rate, review, and subscribe. It's super helpful. And, you know, validation. We need it. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, last but not least, uh, all of our stories have song episode titles or song song titles um, that we compiled into a playlist called The Soundtrack In Between, which is available on Spotify. So go listen. It's really good. Um, and I think that's it. Yep. So happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. And see you next week. All right. Bye.